Tonight's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob dwelt in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a lad with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought an ill report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they only hated him the more. He said to them, Hear this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him yet more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. The word of the Lord. I want to preach a sermon, but I don't think that's going to be possible. So if you'll just bear with me, I think it's necessary to do this work first. Um, this story is kind of an amazing story. It's like, it's a huge story. We just got the first 11 verses. It like goes, it runs to the end of the whole book of Genesis. It's chapters and chapters, and it's all about Joseph. And um, I think that we need to start out. So I just want to tell you the story. And I have to say it's a story because a sermon has good news in it. The good news of Jesus Christ revealed and proclaimed. That's a sermon. I just, that's not going to be here today, just so you know that. It's kind of like, it's going to be in two parts. I have to, can't tell the whole thing now. So I think that... In the second part, there will be good news for everyone. It might be extra good news, too, because we didn't get it this week. But um, that's what I'm hoping. So I was thinking of this is maybe, I don't know, a story. You know what it's more like? A, um, 
It's like one of those mini-series. It's like a mini-series. It's like an epic mini-series, which here I'd like to insert the name of epic mini-series, but I couldn't think of any of them that were made since the 1980s, so I just didn't go with any. Um, but this thing is like, you know what it is? Thinking about this two-part thing that you can hear this episode and you can come back and listen to the next episode next week, or you can just wait and just watch the whole season at once streaming. So either, either way you want to do it. Um, so let me start here. But first, a couple things. I might be wrong. And there might be some good news in this. Just as, as regular, experienced attenders at House of Mercy, maybe just kind of keep your ear out for some good news. And let me know afterwards, or even just, like, shout it out. Yeah, that wouldn't be someone who went to House of Mercy, I don't think. Um, but you could um, just think about it hard to yourself. Um <laughs> So, but let us know. So look for that good news. But I also want you to watch for a few other things here in this epic thing here. Like, um, God. Just kind of see if you, if you can ever see God in this story anywhere. That would be a good one. Yeah, if anything reminds you of any other stories you've ever heard, maybe make a little mental note of that. And we have, um, for a while now, been preaching what we call this alt-lectionary, right? This A, the, what is it called? Orthodoxy? A dismantling the, a dismantling orthodoxy lectionary. Yes. We're finding all these texts. We find throughout this book, um, the Hebrew Bible and even the New Testament, that the scriptures sort of tend or move towards creating hierarchies and orthodoxies and institutions while at the same time moving to dismantle them. So maybe look for those kinds of things at work in this story as well. All right, let me get to the story now. So uh, this is uh, the story starts out right after we've just gotten sort of a rundown of uh, Esau and where he moved to and his kids and that kind of a thing. Um, because you remember um, Jacob and Esau and the whole, that whole bit. So we, get, we know where, G, um, where Esau went off to. Now we move over and we start to hear about um, Jacob and how things went with him and his family. But mostly we're focusing here on Joseph, his son. So apparently um, he is, the way the text um, has it is sort of like an apprentice shepherd with his much older brothers. Okay, he's got ten older brothers, um, and he's like he's yes he's just an apprentice. He's seventeen, sixteen years old or whatever, and he's supposed to I guess be learning from them, right? But instead of that, he leaves and goes to his dad and tells his dad that his older brothers are not doing a very good job at all. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't, he just, you know what, who likes him right now? I don't, nobody, just from the beginning, it's like, he just starts out going, yeah, Joseph, yeah, he's not that good. So, and his dad, like, begins to break down the hierarchy right away by not, by not saying, what, 
the hell is wrong with you? You're an apprentice. Get back out there. Those are your older brothers. No, he's like, oh, tell me more. Okay. Um, here, hey, look at, I made this special coat for you. I think you'll like it. Um, he loves him. The text says he loves him because he was the son of his old age. This isn't actually true, really, because he has a younger brother, Benjamin, who is the, actually the youngest, and he is special because, really special in loved because um, he is the firstborn son of Rachel, his wife, who he, the one he loves the most. And you'd think they'd mention that in the text, but they don't in this story for some reason. They just say he loved him because he was the son of his old age, which isn't really true. I don't know why it's in there. There's a lot of questions in this story, and that's why I'm just telling this story, so we can just hold them all in our mind and forget about them. Um, so, um, yeah, he had this special tunic made for them. They call it an, um, like an ornate tunic. I mean, that wouldn't make it a good name for a musical, but um, so it came to be known as this coat of many colors. Um, the Technicolor ordained tunic. Oh, yeah, it doesn't work the same. Um, so he had this mess made special for him, and every time he wore it, can you imagine what all his other brothers thought? Here's like the little youngest one, and he was like, he's like fixing up the ornate tunic, you know. He's probably real particular about his hair, you know. And, um, oh, they just hated him. They hated him so much. He keeps saying over and over again, his brothers hated him. His brothers saw him in this tunic, and they hated him. And because their father loved him, they hated him. This is really, it is. Before, I mean, this is just this brother of theirs who, whatever, maybe he's not quite into the same things they're into, but they hate him so much. And the reason they hate him is not because they've had, you know, sincere disagreements or anything. They just really hate him because their father doesn't love them as much as he loves their little brother, which is sad, I think. But for some reason, the father doesn't care. He doesn't try and be like, in secret, you know, you're really my favorite, but don't tell your brothers because it'll hurt their feelings. He makes them a special coat to parade around in front of him with it. So, anyway, they hate him. Now, you'd think, okay, this guy would kind of like get it. He would go like, I just don't want to make brothers too mad. But we also know maybe he's not that kind of guy because we already saw him go and tell the dad that they weren't doing a good job when he was supposed to be learning from them. So um, he has this dream. And talk about a dude who does not know when to shut up. He has this dream and he tells his dream. He, first of all, he goes, he's with all his brothers. And the first thing he says, he says listen. Listen to me. And, you know, there's sort of this thing, like, in literary criticism, you can kind of say, like, the first words that a character utters in a story sort of lets you know what their character is like. Like, you know, like what God said, let there be light. You kind of know what kind of guy he is, right? Jesus, at the beginning of John, says, follow me. Um, this punk says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Because he just thinks everybody's going to be super interested in what he's interested in. So he tells this story about this. He tells this dream he had. And he says that we were all binding sheaves of wheat together. And my sheave of wheat rose up. 
and your sheaf of weeds came and gathered around and bowed down in front of me. Well, these, um, they, these brothers, they don't like this at all. They take it to mean that um, you really, you think that we are all going to serve you? You think that you are this big, strong shaft that we're all going to bow down before? And it doesn't seem they just hate him even more than this. Um, it, as a matter of fact, it says they hated him even more after hearing these dreams. And it says they hated him for his dreams and his words. That seems like a sad thing in a story, too. They hate some, to hate somebody for their dreams and their words... Like, what do you think? You know, I'm Martin Luther King's all right, but I really hate his dreams and his words, you know? But Martin Luther King maybe was a nicer guy. I don't know. So then he has another dream. And he says, again, he says, hey, look, you guys, I had another dream. That um, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were all gathered around me and they came and they were bowing down before me. And the father's there, there this time, too. Um, Israel, the father, and the father says, what are you saying now? Do you think that even your mother and I and all your brothers will bow down and you will rule us? You know, and he never really answers their questions here, but the brothers, they hate him even more. They really hate him, but it says that his father, Israel, kept it in mind. I don't know what it means, what that means. He kept it in mind, you know? Um, so, cut to another day. The brothers are out there again doing the work. And I don't know what happened to this, like with this kind of spoiled young kid, what happened to this internship he was having with shepherding, but for some reason he didn't go, he's not going to work anymore. But all his brothers go out there. And his dad says, go out and see how your brothers are doing, you know? And check on him. He, his father must be clueless because you don't. Do you think how are, do you think they're going to like having him show up to see how they're doing? And can you see him putting on his uh, his little ornate coat, you know, getting ready to go out and check on his brothers and uh, fixing his hair? And so he goes out to where they were supposed to be, and they're not there. But a man is standing there. And he says to the man, oh, hey, I'm looking for my brothers. Have you seen them? They're supposed to be here. And the man says, I overheard them saying that they were going to Dothia, some other place. So Joseph says, okay, thanks. And he goes there. And he says, don't you think that's kind of a little bit weird, that part right there? They're very particular about this. He goes and he's, look, and there's a man there. And they say, I'm looking for my brothers. Oh, they went that way. There's not a lot of details in the story, so that seems weird that they throw that one in there. Anyway, they go, Joseph sees, oh, his brothers are way there. And the way it is, you know, it's just like desert, right? So he can see him, oh, they're way down there. And the brothers can see him coming. And they see him coming, and they're like, damn. Here he comes, man. Here he comes. Here comes the dream master, they call him. Here comes, oh, you know. The little master of the dream, beloved of our father. Let's kill him when he gets here, they decide. No, 
let's kill him. They say, let's kill him and fling him into a pit and say that a vicious beast devoured him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. It's kind of, yeah, hardcore. They're really upset. I mean, they're going to kill their little brother. Just because he said he had some dreams and he acts like a brat? Let's think about the nature of power in family relationships, right? These guys, what, how old the oldest brother? He's like, I don't know, 40 or something like that. He's got this 17-year-old brother says, I had this dream that I was going to be the boss of you. And he's really freak out about this? Like, this really? Somehow, Joseph got power. Somehow, what he says carries power with it. That really, this whole, all these other brothers, adults, successful, herders of things, really, it really bothers them. So somehow he's gotten power, and I don't know if it's because it's the power that his father has given him, or somehow by wearing that cloak, his brother gave him a special thing. I don't know. But they really, he really, whatever he says gives him a lot of power, and so much power that they really want to kill him. So he's coming up there, they see him coming, they're like, when he gets here, let's kill him. Let's fling him in a pit, and we'll say he was devoured by these wild beasts, and we'll see what becomes of these stupid dreams of him. But Reuben, the oldest, says, let us not shed blood. Let's just fling him into the pit so our hands are clean. Because the text says Reuben was planning on coming back later to get him out. And so he could sort of like not have to kill him, you know. And this is when this whole story starts to get a little bit confusing here from the text. Um, So here comes Joseph. They see him. And they couldn't tell when he was that far away that he was wearing that stupid tunic thing, man. And so when they see that, they just freak out. And they strip it off him. And they fling him into the pit. Or they flung him into the pit. He was flung into the pit. I just got to interrupt myself one moment about this whole flinging thing. They just, all over the place, they said, we should fling him into the pit. I don't know if we should fling him into the pit. He was flung into the pit. This is how you get someone into a pit. It seems like a thing. Why don't you, you can't drop him there? Should we bury him there? No, he must be flung. Like, is there a legal distance you need to be from the edge of the pit to qualify for it to be flung? Like, like you do, do you want to miss? Does, do you take turns, the brothers? Is it one of those things where you're trying to get the paper into the trash can and everybody gets a turn? I don't know. They fling him into the pit. And um, it is kind of interesting, this word, this is the same word that is used, I don't know if you remember way back this, um, Debbie preached on this, when Hagar was driven out um, of Abraham's home with her little son Ishmael, she did not want to see Ishmael die, and she knew that Ishmael was going to die out there in the wilderness, and she flung him under these bushes, and then did not want to see him die. He didn't, because God showed up and, and helped out. But something about flinging, it's in the text. Um, so they flung him into a pit with no water in it, which well, I guess is good. But they mentioned that. And then they sat down and had lunch. This is what is in the text. They sat down and ate bread. 
That's what they did. And then they raised their eyes up, and they saw, and then the text says, look. It's weird. They raised their eyes up, and then they saw, and then the text said, look. Like, who is that look for? Like, it sounds like me. So I look, and a caravan is coming, a caravan of Ishmaelites. And they're coming from Gilead, and their camels are bearing gum and balm and laudanum. Now, I don't know what that means either, but it's got a certain sort of rhythmic quality to it. And laudanum, really? Isn't that what they took in the Civil War? Laudanum. Um, so they, I guess opiates, they did have them in the Old Testament. I mean, really, when you read a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, it seems pretty clear that they had opiates. Um, but I never saw it mentioned before. Yeah. Ishmaelites. There were Ishmaelites that were coming, which is crazy because we just talked about Ishmael, right? With the flinging. His mother flung him under the bushes because she thought he was going to die and didn't want to see it. But... Um, the Ishmaelites would be, they're the descendants of, of Ishmael, right? Like uh, these guys here um, are all the descendants of um, Isaac, Ishmael, the half-brother. The Ishmaelites were the descendants of them. But it's a little bit too early to have all these descendants because Ishmael would be like basically all these guys and Joseph's like great uncle, like their dad's uncle. So it's not, it would be like a whole nation wouldn't have traveling, I don't know. But they're the Ishmaelites. But there's, this is what the book says. The Ishmaelites come. They see him coming. And Judah says, hey, what's to be gained by us just killing him and throwing him in that pit, flinging him in the pit, um, when we could sell him and we wouldn't have the responsibility of killing him? Our hands would be clean. I think that's pushing it a little bit to say their hands would be clean, but this is what they're arguing. Plus, they make money. Then the text says that Midianite merchants came and pulled him out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, who then brought him to Egypt. I don't know, it's hard to clear, see what's going on here. Midianites are basically the same as Ishmaelites because, well, Midianites, uh, Midia was another one of Abraham's children that was born to the wife he had after um, Rebekah died. Um, so, but the terms could be interchangeable, Ishmaelites and Midianites. So, wasn't, weren't wasn't Judah and his brothers going to take him out of the pit and then someone make money? So did they leave or where did they go that the Midians would come out and sell it to the Ishmaelites, which are kind of the same people? It's hard to tell what's going on. All we know is there somehow it was changed. So that happened somehow. And they went to, they went to uh, Egypt. Then Reuben came back. We didn't know he was gone. We didn't really even know that all the brothers were gone. We just knew that they weren't around when the Midianites took him out and sold him to themselves. Um, but Reuben comes back, and he looks in the pit, and he's like, he's not here. Where is he gone? 
the boy is not here. And he rips his clothing in mourning, and he goes to his brothers, and he says that the boy is not. In the Hebrew, the boy is not, doesn't exist any longer. Our brother is not. They take the tunic. They kill a kid. Little baby lamb. And dip it in the blood. And send it to Joseph. I mean, Jacob. They send it to Jacob and have the servant say, Is this your youngest son's? Does this ornate tunic look familiar to you with the blood on it and so um, Jacob just freaks out cries he says my son has been devoured by an evil beast now the rabbis say of this part here that it is impossible that Jacob doesn't know what's going on here. As a matter of fact, but he only knows a little bit what's going on here. That the Holy Spirit is giving little glimpses to him in his mind that he can't completely understand of what's going on here. And he's giving a little glimpse that his son is not really dead, but is going to be attacked by one of the wives of the Pharaoh's noble in Egypt. This is what the rabbis say. And that's why he further goes on to say that he would not be comforted, that his sons came to him and his daughters, and he would never be comforted because he would not accept the fact, he knew in his heart that his son was not dead, and he knew this because he got a little glimpse from the Holy Spirit. Then the rabbis asked, well, why doesn't the Holy Spirit, why doesn't God just tell him where he is and what's going on? Because the brothers all got together and put a kind of charm or curse, you could interpret it on the entire situation. So nobody could say anything about what happened to Joseph because it was such a bad thing. The brothers could not say anything because of this charm, and even God could not say anything. He was caught up in this charm, too. Everybody is silenced by this charm for the next 22 years. Nobody can say anything. There's something so horrible about what they did that they're able to bring this powerful magic up and seal everybody from talking about it. And that somehow that's why we don't ever hear Joseph complain or protest when they fling him into the pit because nobody could hear him speak. Nobody could hear anybody complain or talk or speak about what happened to this boy. Like I said, I don't got a lot of good news here for you. God is silenced by the evil acts of 
his chosen family. I mean, I just say that, and the rabbis just put that in there, but frankly, there's no God in this story at all. Which is weird because all the patriarchs before you seem like they would run into God all the time. They would wrestle with God, God would appear to them, God would come by their tent. <laughs> what is better, that God is silent or not there? I think next week it'll get better, hopefully. Hopefully. 